You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight the Vikings with Mike Wabshaw, the Vikings Entertainment Network. Focus on injuries with Will Carroll and provide your fantasy fix. And Brian, let's kick off the podcast today with NFL legend Justin Forsett. Justin, thanks for taking the time. Let's start in Puerto Rico, which is still dealing with the impact of Hurricane Maria. Tell us about your recent trip to the island and the great work you're doing with a company called Shower Pill that you're heavily involved with. Man, it was an amazing experience. You know, we went to my company, uh, Shower Pill, with our initiative, Shower Shower to the People, where we go out and we're uh, handing out hygiene products, our body wipes, where people don't have clean water, access to clean water, and no power. Um, uh, So it it was a great experience going out there serving the people in need of us fellow Americans just reaching out and, uh, you know, they're in need, man. They still need us. I know it's kind of out of sight, out of mind right now uh, in the media with a whole bunch of other things going on, but they're still hurting very much down there. How did it impact you in a way where when you came back home uh, that it put things in perspective for you as you move forward with things that you're dealing with in your life when thinking sometimes things are tough, but you come from Puerto Rico and you see they have no choice and by default they're stuck with having people like yourself coming in to help? Man, um, you know, you, you're, you're spot on. A, the, it's definitely, uh, put thing, it definitely puts things in perspective. And, you know, just, I mean, running into an individual there, a 60-year-old man who uh, lost everything. Uh, and the only thing he had was, he said he had his faith in his coupons to buy food, and that's all that he had left. 60-year-old man living by himself, no roof, no floors in his house. And he had a, a joy in his heart. Um, I remember we, we asked him what he needed. He said, man, I just need a toilet. We said, okay, man, we'll buy you a toilet. He said, no, 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 don't give me anything. Give me the cement and some dirt, and I'll build a toilet. I have the platform for it. So mm. they have a, just this spirit, man, down there. that They're fighting for each other. They're working together. And it was inspired in me. Like, man, the stuff that I'm going through, the different adversities that you may face, uh, it's nothing. You can never allow that to take your peace, your joy, and your fight. So it was encouraging to see that. Justin Forsett is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Justin, we have a bit of a funky line, so I want to go back to shower pill because it's an innovative concept, and I want to make sure we get at the information correctly. How did uh-huh. you originally come up with the notion of this product, and how is it making life a little bit easier for the folks in Puerto Rico? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I came up with the idea with uh, college teammates of mine, uh, it's been a long time. Shower pill is a term that's been used in the locker room for a long time, where it was inside joke where guys uh, would, would say they took a shower pill when they couldn't get into a shower and had to take one later. So we turned it into a business where people wanted to practice good hygiene but had busy schedules or active, uh, active days or, like Puerto Rico, don't have access to clean water or, or power. We can be able to help out and help them provide, have uh, healthy hygiene, help, help them uh, practice good healthy hygiene. So. Uh, we came up with this shower in the white, and uh, we're giving it out to them, and it was a great experience. Well, I tell you what, I have some former players, Justin, uh, that probably still take those shower pills that we used to always reference, <laughs> and guys take those quick showers. So I'll tell you what, I'll give you my address to send a couple of those to me so I can give them some of my homeboys who are retired and playing in the game. But I just say, man, that that's a really tremendous 
uh, with what you're doing, giving to those. And we say it all the time, but we really don't buy into it as much. But when being impacted the way you were and are right now, um, you took a concept that was really fun and you turned it into something special that's helping a tremendous amount of people along uh, that area down in Puerto Rico that are struggling. Uh, thank you, man. I'll definitely get you some product out. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's a blessing to be able to, uh, to to have a company that can be able to serve in this, in this manner. And uh, I'm just blessed to be able to do it. Justin, let's talk some football. We heard you this season on the Ravens radio broadcast. Great job in your first year in the booth. So your old team is still very much alive in the wild card hunt, could play their way into the postseason. Where do you think Joe Flacco is at this stage of his career? Man, uh, I think right now the, the beginning of the season, it was kind of rough for him. Uh, just getting the rhythm and you know having his receivers and his weapons come on board and start executing at a high level. Uh, but I think he's in great form right now. You're starting to see him turn it up like he always does this time of year, and he's turning into uh, January Joe, as we like to call him. And uh, I think he's clicking right now, and I think this team is primed to at least uh, make a strong push for this playoff. When you see them finally running the football the way they need to to help Joe Flacco out, because doing it by himself, he struggled. When you see Alex Collins running the football, you see the defense getting becoming tenacious and getting some of the, let's just say, the most turnovers in the game when they are going after the quarterback and the runner out of the backfield. This team is really hard to stop, especially when the emotion of the game favors the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, man, it's the Ravens standard. It's the Raven way. Uh, you run the you run the ball. Uh, you execute at a high level and you play good defense, you know, create turnovers. That's what they do, and, and, and that's what they've been known for for a long time. So it's good to see them clicking on all cylinders right now. The special teams unit has been great with Justin Tucker. Sam Cook was doing a great job. So uh, they're putting it together, man. I mean, they just got to get hot right now and, and make this strong push for the playoffs. But this is Baltimore Raven football. Chatting with Justin Forsett, the former NFL running back. Justin, you play for the Seahawks. Where do you think Russell Wilson belongs in the MVP conversation? He's been their leading rusher. They could have used you this season. <laughs> uh, no, man. Uh, I, I think that you know he's. I mean, the stuff that he's been doing, especially with you know some of the offensive line issues that he's been having, man. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit. Uh, you know, I don't know about the MVP. Uh, uh, race right now, I got Todd Gurley, you know, selfishly as uh, being biased as a running back, you know, probably leading that right now, but uh, he's been doing a heck of a job over there in you, Seattle. You mentioned Todd Gurley. Uh, to not see him rush for 100 yards last year to this year, he's just really tearing it up and watching him travel on the road, as you mentioned, run through Seattle for obvious reasons. You don't have Cam Chancellor, you don't have Richard Sherman, but the way he looked running the football, does it give you chills watching it that he, now that he's finally playing the type of football that everyone anticipated seeing him play? Yeah, man, it's encouraging to see, man. He, he He's doing what he's capable of doing uh, all the while. Uh, I think last year, you know, with the whole quarterback situation being up and down and the offense being up and down, uh, they never had consistency, so it allowed the defense to really stack the box against him. He had to run against a lot of stack boxes, and it was tough sledding for him. I think this year – you know, it's, it's a team effort. Uh, everybody's clicking. Golf has been playing some great football. Uh, Cup has been playing some great football. I mean, you know, uh, it's a team effort to make this run game go. And uh, he's, he's just he's firing on all cylinders right now. And I love seeing him run that football and run caps over. Justin, last one for me. The Ravens, one of a handful of teams over the years to beat the Patriots in Foxborough in the postseason. Do you think anybody can slow down the Patriots this year? Man, uh, this time of year, it's all—it's always tough, especially going through Foxborough. Uh, 
But uh, I mean, they they are beatable. I, I don't I don't think that they're the, the Patriots of old. Uh, I think they they could be successful this year. Uh, this is what team is going to go up there and, and uh, not be afraid and not buy into the hype and, and go out there and play some dominant football. Justin, we appreciate the information. Congratulations on the great work you've done in Puerto Rico. Happy holidays and hope to chat with you again on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, guys, you're listening to Dumb People Town on TuneIn. And since we're new here, we thought we'd tell you a little bit about our show. We have dumb ears on the ground. Our fans send in stories that have happened, real stories that have happened. And along with our co-host, We Dan, try to break down that material with Dan Van Dan Kirk. Dan Van Kirk, our co-host, breaks it down. And then us and a guest, we and a guest break it all down. And we try and make it funny for you. It is a fast hour, and you will enjoy it. It's a riff it fast. Silly. You can hear episodes of our show a full week early right here on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by injury expert Will Carroll. Will, as always, we appreciate the time. Let's start with today's news. The Seahawks fined $100,000 for failing to follow all of the particulars of the concussion protocol when Russell Wilson was hit on the Thursday night last month in Arizona. Do you think changes need to be implemented to make sure this does not happen again? Yes and no. You know, I, I want to give the NFL credit. They have been strong about taking a look, and when things go wrong, they've tended to fix them. You remember a couple of years ago when Colt McCoy uh, was complaining about his hand rather than his head, despite the fact that he'd just been knocked goofy. Uh, they, they worked on that and, and got the spotters there. They were able to put in uh, a, a number of other things to try to keep this as, as, as improved as possible. It's never going to be 100%. But when there is a breakdown in the process, whether it's, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but when there's a breakdown, I think these fines are pretty serious. You know, 100000 is no joke. Uh, having to sit through a remedial class and, oh, my God, do I want to see what that class would be like. I think they, they should broadcast that. Uh, I, I think this is what they need to do. When there is a, a screw-up, and that's what this is, I don't think this was planned. I don't think this was nefarious. I don't think this was some conspiracy because it's Russell Wilson. I just think... The situation didn't work the way it was supposed to work. And in those situations, you slap them on the wrist, you try to make sure it never happens again, and that's what they've done. Well, when you look at wide receiver Jeremy Macklin, um, it's been a big question mark after he missed two practices with his ankle sprain and his ankle injury. Uh, Coach, offensive coordinator Marty Morningwig described Macklin's status as day-to-day. Give me your take because of the ankle injury. uh, How's it looking for him moving forward? Yeah, ankle and knee. uh, You know, and this is one of those situations where, again, we have to focus on the fact that, you know, yes, he's a wide receiver, um, but no, he doesn't do the same things every other wide receiver does. There are so many different kinds. Jeremy Macklin is a pure speed guy. He may not be as fast as he once was, but he's not out there running precise routes. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, playing physical off the ball. He has, he has to run past people to be effective. Can you do that when you can't cut? Well, yeah. As long as he can start, Yes. So they're going to be watching him very, very closely. It's going to be close. Uh, the question is, do you, do you essentially take the chance of playing a man down? Do you take the chance of him hurting himself when they still have uh, a decent shot at the playoffs? And also, you have to take into account that the Colts' defensive backs stink. Like, you have to use your best guys to beat them. Uh, it doesn't appear so. 
Spotlighting injuries with a good friend of the program. It's Will Carroll. Will, what can you tell us about Antonio Brown going down with a calf injury and the loss to the Patriots on Sunday? And do you think it's a reasonable timeline to project he could be back in time for the playoffs? Yeah, it's, it's going to be close. Now, they, they have to keep that bye week. Uh, that's going to be very, very important to them. Getting that extra week where yeah, he doesn't need to do anything. And, in fact, it's two weeks. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where this is why you play the regular season so hard because there's going to be a situation like this. You can't anticipate it. And when it happens, that extra week really does help. Um, here's the thing with Brown. Uh, everybody's like, ooh, it's just a calf strain. It's just a partial tear. Well, a partial tear is a strain. Any tearing of muscle or tendon fibers is a strain. That's the, the, the definition. If you do it to a ligament, it's a sprain. Uh, so, you know, it's just semantics if you're saying, ooh, just a small tear. It's a grade two tear. The big worry is where the tear is. Now, this is kind of technical, but if you look at the bottom of your calf, or the top of your Achilles, they kind of mesh together. And it's a little unclear. There's actually some debate among uh, doctors of where one starts and where the other stops. Uh, The tear that he has, the strain, is very low on the calf, very near uh, where the the Achilles tendon kind of starts. Uh, So, you have to be worried about that. If this had been an inch lower, we'd be talking about an Achilles tendon injury, and then you know Steelers fans would be in a massive panic. It's not significantly different, but the context and placement of the injury is important. Can he come back in this two- to three-week period that they're saying? Yes, but everything needs to go really perfectly for it to be in that two-week period. For the three-week period, they've got an extra seven days. They've got to hold things up. The thing I'm watching is how are they going to treat this? We obviously can't see inside the training room. They're not going to leak out exactly what they're doing. But one thing we can see from Antonio's Instagram is that uh, he's going around not in a walking boot but on a scooter. That uh, They're completely keeping the weight off that uh, pretty much the entire lower leg, the calf muscle, the Achilles tendon, off the foot. No weight bearing at all, and I'm hearing that's going to be going for at least the rest of this week. So they're doing everything they possibly can to make sure there is no setback at all. I know the scooter is something that he probably wish he can ride on all the time. Obviously, not in the condition that he's in, of course, right? Um, yeah, let's stick but with the Steelers. You do have to worry about that. Uh, but yeah. I, I do think, you know, he, he just goes to the local Walmart and gets one of those plug-in things. He, he can have some fun <laughs> with that. Let's, let's stick with the Steelers. Cornerback uh, Joe Hayden expects to return in the lineup Monday against the Texans after a five-week layoff due to a fibular injury. Uh, Hayden yeah. said he felt ready to play after a rigorous running and cutting recession mm-hmm. on Monday and Tuesday. Is that enough to determine, considering the injury, uh, for him to get back on the football field? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, bone heal. This is this is a tough one. When we talk about any sort of bone injury, uh, bones heal. Uh, they heal pretty normally. Uh, they're easy to see with an X-ray. You, you know, you go in, you have an X-ray, and they say, "Oh, look, this bone's healed." Look, we're not. None of us are doctors, but you show me an x-ray, I can say, yep, that leg's broken, or I can say, no, nah, it doesn't look broken. Uh, and as long as he's having no pain, as long as everything's essentially healed back up and that he's functional, uh, I think it's going to be great. I think the bigger question is that Hopkins kid that's going to be across from him might be a bit more of a challenge than figuring out whether his leg's broken or not.
Well, last one for me, Hunter Henry of the Chargers dealing with a laceration of the kidney. That sounds very serious. I didn't go to medical school, but that stands out to me. How often does this happen on a football field? More often than you'd think. You might remember a couple of years ago it happened to Andrew Luck. There's been a number of these. There's two reasons for this. The kidney is kind of best described as like a little watermelon. Uh, watermelon has that hard rind around the outside, and if you hit it with a hammer, it breaks. You know, people say, how does blunt force trauma lacerate something? Uh, hit, a, hit a watermelon. See what happens. Uh, do the whole Gallagher routine. Um, but, yes, exceptionally painful and exceptionally important to the function of your body. If you've ever been hit in the kidney, you know how much this hurts. Uh, there's a immediate physical reaction, and he's probably urinating blood, which is never comfortable and certainly looks weird. Uh, you know, it, if you've ever had anything remotely like this, just getting punched in the kidneys, there's a reason they don't allow it in boxing. Uh, this is problematic for him, and he won't be able to go out there until this is absolutely cleared up. Uh, Andrew Luck missed several weeks with it, so uh, may end the season for Henry. The other thing here is is we've talked about protection. There, all season long, we talked about how the, the shoulder injuries that we've seen from a number of quarterbacks and, and wide receivers even, uh, there isn't a piece of equipment that protects us from that. There is a piece of equipment that protects you from this. There are, you know, flak jackets. And I'm not talking about those plastic and foam things that they wore back in the 60s. We've got some that are made out of Kevlar, out of uh, impact foam. There are things that are really, really good and really, really light, actually lighter and more comfortable than those foam and plastic things that don't work very well. So why doesn't Henry and every other player wear them? I have no idea. Mm. Well, Coach Danny Quinn, uh, the head coach for the Atlanta Falcons, tried to downplay the ankle injury uh, to their Pro Bowl wide receiver, Julio Jones, um, from practicing on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. But his name appeared on an injury report. Has to be a concern for a team trying to win out, considering that they're actually going on road to play against their arch rival, the New Orleans Saints. Was that a great idea? And even how does that look for him moving forward? Yeah, this is one that you have to take into the context of Julio Jones. Now, Julio's been an amazing athlete since he he was a high school kid down at Foley, and he's always just been so big, so fast, uh, cut so hard. He does everything so much that he's out at the extreme. Uh, You know, he's had problems with his feet. uh, He's had problems with his legs. He's had problems with his lower back. uh, And now that he, he would have a problem with his ankle, shouldn't surprise us. He does things at the extreme. And unfortunately, uh, like any race car, things tend to break there. Uh, So this ankle is problematic. But again, you look at the function. This is a guy who's as fast as almost any guy in the league. He's as big as almost any wide receiver in the league. He's as strong and he runs good routes. So he can give up one of those. If he can't make the hard cuts because of the ankle, or if he can only cut one direction, he can, he can, work that out. Some guys, they would just jump the route. He can block them out with his big body. So I think he's still going to be as uh, effective. As effective, that's going to be a bigger question. But uh, I don't think he's going to allow an ankle sprain uh, to hold it up. He'll be braced up. They'll be testing that uh, late this week, and he'll be out there. So look for ways to to, uh, adjust. One of the things they can do is just have him turn around and block guys out. Uh, he's so big and strong, he can make that kind of uh, Antonio Gates play. He can also 
go in the end zone and jump. Uh, he can still get uh, up there with just one leg. Uh, so I don't think that's going to be a real problem for his production in certain situations. They're going to have to adjust out of the others. Well, as always, we appreciate the information. Happy holidays, and we'll chat with you next week again on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks a lot, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Gold, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown. Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Mike Wabshaw of the Vikings Entertainment Network. Mike, thanks for taking the time. Pro Bowl roster is probably going to evolve because of injuries, but do you think Case Keenum deserved to be named to the initial NFC roster announced on Tuesday night? We went through the numbers, and his numbers in some areas were better than Drew Brees, and he did it in fewer games. Yeah, well, good to be with you guys. Um you know, the one thing about the Pro Bowl snub topic, you know, that I always try to be mindful of is if you're going to proclaim someone a snub, you got to identify who should be out uh, in place of your guy. You know, you mentioned Drew Brees, and, uh, you know, I mean, Drew, Drew had a great season. He's having a great season. So, you know, I think Case is deserving of being recognized as an all-star or a Pro Bowler, but, you know, there's only so many spots, and, and I know, as you guys have probably heard from other guests, you know, these guys got, got bigger, more team-oriented goals in mind than Pro Bowls. But it, it does make for interesting discussion for sure. I think if you look at Harrison Smith, it's sort of um, – it's sort of that, to me, is the biggest puzzler. I mean, he's probably the best safety in the NFL, and he's not in the Pro Bowl. Um, but, you know, that, that's the way the votes came out, I guess. Yeah, Harrison Smith is the one on the back end of that defense that keeps them afloat, I think, when it comes down to being in the right place at the right time to create turnovers or some big hits. Uh, but but does, it, does it occur to you at any moment in this, Mike, that sometimes that the players who belong in tend, have a tendency to not get in at the time in which they should, but then they end up getting in yeah. next, next season when they shouldn't get in? Like, for Case Keenum, say he stays, he gets a new deal. Say a Harrison Smith, he keeps playing the way he's playing. Next year, all of a sudden, he gets in. Isn't it kind of crazy that they don't just put the guys in that deserve to get in now because they're playing good football now? Totally agree with that, Cordell. I totally agree with that. I think that happens in the NFL Network's top 100 players. I think that happens in the Pro Bowl. I think we saw that with Xavier Rhodes. You know, Xavier, this is his second Pro Bowl, but you go back and look at his season three years ago, he was probably a Pro Bowler that season as well. So maybe it's some sort of time warp where it takes everyone a year to catch up to reality. I don't know. You know, it's got a, it's got a bit of high school popularity contest to it, I think. Um, you know, and then I also wonder, and I say this with, with all due respect to Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, when Anthony Barr is the guy who who – has the hit on Aaron Rodgers, like that sends waves throughout the league. And so you kind of wonder if that somehow might propel Anthony Barr's candidacy above another player. And I'm not saying Anthony shouldn't be there. He's having his best season as a pro. 
But, you know, it's just, it's just interesting to wonder what factors into the people who vote, what factors into their mind. Well, the Vikings hope their players won't be available for the Pro Bowl because they're getting ready for the Super Bowl. And we know any time a team is winning, coordinators get more national attention. Offense coordinator Pat Shermer has previous head coaching experience at Cleveland. Obviously, it didn't go well because we're talking about the Browns. But do you think Pat's name is going to come up for head coaching jobs based on how well the offense has been playing? Yeah, I do. I think he'll be a name that is bandied about um, for for vacancies. You know, and we, of course, don't know most of the vacancies yet, but I think no, no matter what it is, you know, Pat, Pat would be a good candidate. It'll be his second time around. I'm sure there are some studies to be done about coaches success rates on the second head coaching job, um, you know, and how much they learn from their first experience and what they picked up once they went back to being a coordinator that then they will bring with them to their, to their second head coaching job. I think Pat Shermer would be a good head coach. Selfishly, I hope we don't lose him because I really like what he's got going on uh, with our team right now. But, um, you know, he's, um, he, he's a good, sharp offensive mind, and um, he's not afraid to change his stripes if the situation calls for it. So I like that flexibility about him. I think he's a guy who will fit his scheme to his players rather than trying to force his players into a scheme. Mike, have you heard any conversation uh, about maybe um, contract talk about Case Keenum? Um, because we've had the opportunity to see Teddy Bridgewater, unfortunately, come in and some mop-up work. And, you know, it's not enough to really dock him or condemn him because he's been out for some time. So not in a competitive mode, to say the least, to, to go out and play on the high level. But when you see Case Keenum and what he's done so far, they won the division. They're trying to fight to get home field advantage. He goes out, get a bye week, play their first game at home. If they hadn't got the uh, the first, the, the, the home field advantage, um, do you see them, if they get that win and get to an NFC championship game, that they may visit the conversation about extending some time there for Case Keenum and being a quarterback for this football team? Yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, uh, maybe it's going on now. We don't know it. It's behind the scenes and it's, everyone's keeping it quiet. But, you know, I, I haven't, you know, that, that's not really been something that's been talked about outside of just, you know, fans maybe talking about it on social media or emailing me. But um, it's just not, not a development we've really seen happen. It hasn't been in the headlines. It hasn't been – you know, an undertone of the season is just more of the, the storyline is more of, you know, Bridgewater, Bradford, Keenum, all free agents in the off season. What are the Vikings going to do? But, you know, the team is so focused and including Keenum is so focused on the task at hand that I just don't think that story has gained much traction, but I do think it'll be one of the five or six top storylines across the entire league once the Super Bowl is in the rearview mirror and we're, we're starting to look at the 2018. It'll be interesting to see what the Vikings do, and maybe the Vikings don't know what they're going to do. Maybe some of what they're going to end up doing is going to be based on how these la- this last month of the season goes. Talking Minnesota football, Mike Wabshaw, Vikings Entertainment Network, and the Vikings team channel here on TuneIn. Mike, if the current seedings hold, it could be the Vikings matching up with the Eagles in the NFC title game, and we don't know who's going to be the one seed yet. Do you see major parallels between these teams, both now guided by backup quarterbacks, both bolstered by very strong defenses? Yeah, I do, for sure. You know, I think... I think another thing I like about both teams, too, is the home field advantages that they have. I mean, you know, you go to Lincoln Financial Field, that is a hard place to go and win, and I'd like to think people would say the same thing about U.S. Bank Stadium. So I think I think that's a factor, too, um, in, in these games. I really like um, what the Eagles have on special teams. I think their kicker, Jake Elliott, is really good. 
and the Eagles were able to survive the loss of their left tackle. They have a strong offensive line with good depth. So I think, um, you know, I think they're for real, and I think they can keep going with Nick Foles, and I think you're absolutely right. There are parallels to be drawn, and it's interesting that these are the two teams that were so uh, connected last year when the Sam Bradford trade was made following the Teddy Bridgewater injury, you know, and now you got Nick Foles and Sam Bradford and, um, Case Keenum, they're all they all at one time were with the Rams. It's just kind of interesting the the different parallels that are that exist between these two teams, and it would be a pretty cool story to see the Eagles and Vikings in the NFC title game, given the trade that those two teams made uh, with Howie Roseman, the Eagles GM, and Rick Spielman, the Vikings GM, crafting that trade for Sam Bradford right before the season last year. It would be an interesting storyline to have these two teams in the title game. I think what I saw last week against the Carolina Panthers, um, far as what I was asking for prior to that game, which was seeing this team come from behind uh, to play well, I thought that was the only thing that I hadn't seen from them yet uh, to, to say that this is really a complete football team. What do you see they need to improve on? Because you mentioned uh, the, the hits in the backfield when it comes to the running game. Uh, what do you see this team needing uh, to improve on in order to make a serious run to being the first team in NFL history to host a Super Bowl in their city? Yeah, I, I think to me the thing I find myself pounding the desk the most on game days about is our negative yardage runs. Um, we just, to me, we have just too many of those. And McKinnon and Murray, our two running backs, have been great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, um, you know, they're good out of the backfield catching. They they can protect. And um, you know, our running game has been so much better than it was last year, guys. I can't even tell you how much better it's been. But we still have negative yardage runs on early downs, and that puts us behind the chains. And that, to me, if I really had to nitpick our team, that would be one thing I would really look at. If we could find a way to just get rid of some of those negative yardage runs, I think we'd be even more explosive on offense. And, you know, and we, we are able to overcome it at times because if, if you guys remember, the first play of the game last week against the Bengals was not a negative yardage run, but it was a negative play. It was a nine-yard sack of Case Keenum. So here we are on the second play of the game. It's second and 19. We called the we dialed up a screen pass to Murray for 28 yards, and we dug ourselves out of that hole. But you can't count on you being able to dig yourself out of a hole like that every time. You've got to find ways to avoid being in second and long and third and long. And, and if we could get rid of negative yardage runs, I think that would go a long way for our offense. Mike, great information as always. Enjoy the matchup coming up on Saturday. Happy holidays, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week on the NFL on TuneIn. My pleasure, guys. Happy holidays to you, too, as well. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. With more than 30 First Play podcasts on TuneIn, you can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows before they're available anywhere else. Hey there, it's Mike Rowe. This is The Way I Heard It, the only podcast for the curious mind with a short attention span. We're at episode number 83, incredibly. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. This is Uncivil. Where we ransack America's history. And discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And beaming out across all of space and time. This is Star Talk. Where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today.
Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's dive deeper into our game of the week between the Saints and the Falcons, spotlighting our original team player, Falcons receiver Julio Jones. It's NFL No Huddle, spotlighting the stars of the game who played their hearts out for one team their entire career. It's the original team player, presented by Miller Lite. Well, Julio Jones was selected by the Falcons with the number six overall pick in the 2011 draft coming out of Alabama, where he had a stellar career. You'll recall that the Falcons went all in to get him. They traded five picks with the Browns to move up. I guess it's fair to say that bold move paid off because Julio has emerged as one of the best receivers in all of football. Hands down, he is one of the most explosive receivers, I would say, in all of football because of his size, uh, because of uh, the force of aggression that he plays with. I don't think there's another receiver in the game that plays uh, like that. But when you, when you ask the question of is he one of the best or is he the best in the game, I'm going to lean to saying no, he's not the best, but is he one of the best? I'll say yes. And because he is so big, um, he's arguably one of the tougher receivers to cover. But if you play his own coverage, he'll kill you. If you go one-on-one, man-to-man, I think that's when you'll have an opportunity uh, to be able to play him a certain way. Well, maybe a little over-the-top help because he hasn't given those big chunk of yards on a consistent basis. The guy who really does that a lot is the little guy who's injured right now uh, with the calf injury uh, with A.B. and Antonio Brown. He's got, what, 15-33, I think, which he leads all the receivers with yardage a reception yardage this season. Uh, but what, and what what you see from Julio Jones, and, and, and this is what uh, I think is, is, is something that needs to be, I think, talked about when it comes to this, this receiving core, mostly. And, and, and of course, Julio Jones is the leader in this. Uh, but last year, they all had only 10 drops. This year, leading into that Tampa Bay game, they had 25, and in that game, they had five. So it's 30 drops that they've had so far, and they still are playing good football. Julio Jones, every year, you know for sure is going to show up. You know for sure he's going to show out. Uh, But when it comes to injuries, sometimes that stall, you know, his production. But yet he's still extremely productive when it comes down to being the one of the best receivers in the National Football League. So uh, whatever it is, accolades uh, that he can receive, you know for sure at any moment, at any time, in any game that he plays during the week, whether it's Thursday, Sunday, or even Monday, and now that it's the latter part of the year, even on Saturdays now, uh, that he can be one of the most explosive players uh, not just in the game, but just throughout the entire week of football uh, when it comes down to what he means to his team and I think also how dynamic his skill set is when it comes to being dynamic in the National Football League. We are focusing on Julio Jones. He's today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. So there's no question he's one of the best in the game at his position. But Cordell, why do you think the Falcons have been unable to get him the ball consistently? A few weeks ago, remember the breakout game, better than 250 receiving yards. And then you go back to Monday night and that narrow win over Tampa Bay, he only had three catches. Well, here's the thing, I think, when you – when you look at what this team does against teams that's not in their division. And I think that's what we have to remember. When it comes down to them playing teams within their division, because they play them twice, they know who he is. And and I think we sometimes, you know, kind of pass over the Carolina Panthers playing them twice, Tampa playing them twice, New Orleans Saints playing them twice. Uh, 
and, and just assume that it's a straight drop off. I don't think that's what it is. I just think that uh, when you play against, you know, the only player I would say that probably had some of the most success against a team, that's Larry Fitzgerald playing against the San Francisco 49ers and tearing them apart when it comes to yards, receptions, which I think when it comes to matchups, being played twice in a year, I think that matchup within the division is better than any other matchup um, of that magnitude in the National Football League from a receiver standpoint. He's done, he does the most, most work and the most damage against that one football team than any other team, any other player does against a team they play twice in the National Football League. But with saying that, again, it becomes tough. You know, one, when you're injured, it becomes tough when team knows teams know uh, that if we play zone against you, you're going to kill us. You're going to beat us down. But if we play man, now you put the pressure on your quarterback to be extremely efficient uh, when it comes down to doing that. So I think that's why you've seen Julio Jones, I think, uh, struggle um, when it comes down to playing those last three games that they played against. Because if you look at the games that they did play, um, they had their last few games one. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, was against Tampa Bay. Uh, They won, but he had 253 yards in that game. Then they played against Minnesota, 43 yards for Sanu, which means that Julio Jones didn't have that much. Then they played against New Orleans. He only had 98, and then Freeman got 68. So, you know, good teams, in-conference teams. Obviously, they did well against Tampa. Uh, Who doesn't this year? Uh, But I think in the end, that's really what it is. It's just injuries and teams having a knack to understand how to play against him, which I think if you play man, you win, you play zone, he kills you. Talking Julio Jones, today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. Let's wrap it up with a big picture. Falcons could either win the division with two more victories. That starts with a road win at New Orleans on Sunday, or they could miss the playoffs entirely if they lose to New Orleans. And then the following week to cap the regular season, they lose to the Panthers we're all in the forecasting business. You're based in Atlanta. How do you think the Falcons are going to do the last two games of the season matching up against the Saints and the Panthers? Oh, man. They may get a split, but I think it's highly they may lose both games because the Saints, I think they win this game at home. Uh, this team right now, I think it's 8-3 and three ever since uh, they've had Drew Brees uh, on this roster playing against the New Orleans Saints there at the Superdome, the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Uh, I think they lose that game. Uh, They have everyone healthy. I think they get the running game because when they played here in Atlanta, which I think still came down to the very bitter end and Drew Brees threw that interception, um, you know, they lost a lot of players on offense. I think, what, six players on offense was injured uh, to defensive players being injured, losing Alvin Kamara uh, to a concussion uh, in that game. And they still, um, you know, walked away limping. I think he had, what, three interceptions? against the New Orleans Saints, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the, one of the tougher, one of the worst games he's had all year. Uh, and then they walked away from that game, uh, kind of like that, taking the forehand and putting on the forehead and saying, uh, because it was a really close one. Uh, and I think Carolina, uh, they're playing for a lot. Um, and, and, I, and I think, I know Thomas Davis, uh, we haven't gotten the ruling back on a two-game suspension if it had been, uh, taken down to one. Have yeah, we gotten it's been knocked down to yet? one game as we predicted. Knocked down to one, so he they will play. One, so he'll be back for that game against Atlanta, right? Uh, so he'll be playing against the New Orleans Saints, and so um, excuse me, he'll be playing against the Atlanta Falcons, and so I, I think they 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 fall in these next two games because Matt Ryan has struggled uh, in these last few games. He hasn't been extremely productive 
uh, when it comes to how he's been playing, Julio Jones been inconsistent. Their approach with Steve Sarkeesian, if that's what they want to blame it on, has been inconsistent. Um, and, and I know they want to get Freeman involved and getting him ready. They know he's going to be involved in getting ready. But I don't think the Saints allow this thing to, to tumble in front of them and give the Atlanta Falcons an opportunity to win this football game and also get a chance to play the Carolina Panthers and win it and maybe come back from out of nowhere after the Saints were so far out front uh, to win in this division if they were to win those next two games. So I see them best-case scenario coming away one and one, and, and it's not winning this game against New Orleans. Uh, but there's a big chance they can go on two. I see them. I see them being more one and one and zero and two than I see them going two and zero in these next two games. Going to be a big game in the Big Easy on Sunday when the Falcons and the Saints renew their rivalry. Atlanta hoping for a big game from Julio Jones. Today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. This original team player segment has been presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Miller Lite, hold true. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Listen to Tune In on your time with Tune In On Demand. Jumping on a flight or planning a long road trip? Download episodes of your favorite podcasts or audiobooks. And enjoy hours of great audio content no matter where you are. When you're ready to escape, head to your favorites, hit play, and listen with or without a Wi-Fi connection. Featuring top podcasts and audiobooks in every genre, save your data with TuneIn On Demand. Download your favorites today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for the Fantasy Fix. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked off. Intercepted. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle. It's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Pleased to be joined by a good friend of the program. It's Dennis Farrell from Fantasy Football Geekly. Dennis, for our listeners still alive, getting ready for the Fantasy Super Bowl. Would you recommend them starting Jimmy Garoppolo if they have him available? Boy, that's going to be a tough one. I, I love the passing yards. The touchdowns are not there yet for me to really say jump on board. I have him ranked just outside the top 20 and going up against Jacksonville. I hope that there's better options. You've made it this far, and if you're counting on Jimmy, uh, good luck. But uh, I would tell you, look elsewhere, maybe like a Tyrod Taylor versus New England. Which quarterback will rack up the most fantasy points this championship weekend? Ooh, I I like that because that is a – that's a trick question, I think. Because there there are a lot of trick matchups in here where you could say, well, you know, maybe Phillip Rivers, but he's playing against the Jets defense that sometimes likes to show up in these, you know, games that don't count. I, you know, Phillip is one of those guys that I think could do it. I have him ranked just outside the top ten. I, I'm hoping Casey Keenum lays an A because I'm going up against them in one of my championship games, but uh, I don't think he will. Uh, but to answer your question, how about Tom Brady at Buffalo? Buffalo's defense looks good, but Tom Brady always finds a way to make Buffalo look foolish on big-time television games. So I'm going to say Tom Brady. Getting you set for fantasy Super Bowl games. Fantasy Fix, Dennis Farrell, Fantasy Football Geekly. Dennis, I'll make it straightforward. Who are your top three running backs heading into championship weekend? 
top three running backs heading into the championship weekend. I'm going Le'Veon Bell at Houston, Todd Gurley versus anybody at this point. And you know what? Kareem Hunt versus Miami. I'll put Ezekiel Elliott number four if you're the Zeke uh, owner and you're hoping that uh, he does good. I have him just outside the three against Seattle, but I'm going Kareem Hunt at number three. This is going to be a good question because Aaron Rodgers is not in, but, I mean, check it out. Here it is. How many fantasy points will the Vikings defense earn against Brett Hundley-led Packers offense? You know what? I'm not sure I can count that high. Remember, Devontae <laughs> Adams isn't playing this week either. Uh, you know, you have Jordy Nelson, who's on the back of a milk carton right now. Man, if you're going up against Minnesota's defense, I'm sorry now. I'm going to apologize. I really feel like Minnesota, if you have some sort of like ESPN standard scoring, can walk out with 20-plus fantasy points. Fantasy Fix, Dennis Farrell, Fantasy Football Geekly. Cordell was talking about Phillip Rivers going to the Meadowlands, not going to have Hunter Henry. So we know Antonio Gates is going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Can he play like a Fantasy Hall of Famer this weekend against the Jets? You know what? Only in PPR leagues I would count on him. Uh, outside of that, I'm hoping that there's another tight end you can look towards. The, the, I think Gates will be good, but I would probably rather go maybe a Charles Clay, Vernon Davis versus Detroit or uh, Denver. Uh, ben, look, ben Watson versus Indianapolis might be my sleeper tight end who's on the waiver wire right now. I really feel like Ben Watson could walk out with maybe six to eight catches, 70 yards and a touchdown. With Rex Burkhead out for the Patriots, could Mike Gillisley be in line for more rushing opportunities or will they give all that to Deion Lewis? I'm willing to bet anybody on the show right now that I have just as many rushing yards this week as Mike Gillisley. And I'm stretching, I'm feeling good, but (laughs) that's kind of how I feel like that's going to go for Gillisley for the rest of the year. Uh, look, I know they they like to take guys who like to play their former teams and have their revenge games, but I think uh, Gillen being inactive for so long and just not even seeing the field uh, has put him in jeopardy for having any sort of fantasy value. So I'm saying Dion Lewis, you'll get some White, James White in there, but Gillen will probably not show up. Dennis, you mentioned you're getting ready for a championship matchup. How many leagues were you in this year, and how many Super Bowls did you advance to? You got me last week on this question, all of them. Kaboom. Well, it's all about fact-checking. Cordell, do you have another sizzling hot take when it comes to the world of fantasy football? The world of fantasy football is a world of its own. It's about as good as it gets. What do you think? Back to me. All right, Dennis, I know you're a big professional wrestling fan. Earlier, we were talking about the potential that the XFL could come back. Give me your best Vince McMahon impersonation, welcoming the fans on a Saturday night in Las Vegas to the XFL. Give me that famous promo he cut. Boy, I wish I could do it good, Vince. How about you're fired? Because, boy, uh, let me ask you, Brent, were you an XFL guy when they first came out? I like the notion of it. I had reservations about the hybrid nature because I wanted to see football when the NFL was done, and I respect Jim Ross as a broadcaster, but I didn't know how Jesse Ventura was going to work, and obviously they could not strike the balance. So we were talking about it 10 minutes ago. We would watch because we like the concept of spring football. I just want to make sure it's more football, less WWE heat this time. 
Where were you in your broadcasting career when it came out? Because this is this is a pivotal question for, for my next question for you. Okay. 2001, I was in San Francisco doing local television, and I covered their XFL team led by the former Cal quarterback, Mike Pulaski. So then you were emotionally invested because you covered it. Now you're not so much invested. Are you really going to waste time knowing what it was back then? Because that's kind of how I feel. Uh, I want to like it, but I don't think I'm going to invest any time in the first year unless it sticks around. Dennis, you're presuming I have a life, friends, or hobbies, and none of those things are true. So, yes, if it's football, I'll be watching, although we established we're friends, right? That's been covered on this show. Best friends. BFF. Dennis, best of luck in all of your Super Bowls, and happy holidays from your friends here on the NFL on TuneIn. I love you guys, too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.